Welcome to the Community Safety Podcast with Jim Nixon alongside St. Ives Chambers, RHE Global and Barden Co-Recruitment in partnership with District 4. This podcast will explore how we can transform our communities in the 21st century. Pretty easy to say and understand and quite tricky to deliver, but the underlying problem is someone needs some, some help around their mental condition. Have to get the right care from the right agency at, at the right point in time. The last thing they need is a cop going around there, arresting them or giving them fixed penalty notices or telling them to be quiet because it fixes nothing. It's now time. This is the Community Safety Podcast. Community Safety Podcast with Jim Nixon. Welcome to the Community Safety Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nixon. I've been involved in community safety for over 28 years. Today's guest is Andy Profit. Andy is the Deputy Chief Constable of Essex Police Service. He started his policing career in 1996 at Thurrock, where he spent six years on the beat as a police constable in Corrington and Grays. Andy has had a varied career in custody, local policing, criminal investigation, public protection. And since 2020, Andy has been the National Police Chief's Council Lead for Police in Response to Antisocial Behaviour and Street Homelessness. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thanks, Jim. Good to see you. Really appreciate you coming on. First question, really, what attracted you to policing in the 90s? That's a great question. It was a bit of a, a, a happy accident, really. I... Um... I went to university at 18 and studied um, geography. Um, and there was a little bit of kind of economics um, uh, lined up with that as well, with a, with a thought about I might want to be a geography teacher or I might want to go into accountancy. Finished, finished my degree. I thought, well, those are the two things I definitely don't want to do anymore. Um, and it was just pure happenstance that when I was thought, I really do need to pull my finger out and get a job, that one of the things that was available at that moment in time was Essex Police. Uh, I, I read about policing, um, read about what it involved, the variety, the, you know, the, the working as a team, the ability to make a difference. And it just sounded exciting from the moment I read the advert. Went for the interview. One thing led to another. Was excited about what I heard. Obviously said a couple of the right things. And the rest, they say, is history. There's tough days in every job, Jim, as you know, and policing is no different. Uh, but, but in general, I look back and, and I've loved it. And I made a brilliant choice then by sheer accident, actually, just by the turn of a page of a newspaper, as it was then. In your experience as national lead for sort of ASB and social behaviour and sort of homelessness, what sort of systematic changes do you perceive that hinder sort of that effective sort of collaboration between law enforcement, local authorities, and that kind of social support? I always feel that there is still some way to go there. And I just wondered how sort of these barriers can be addressed to sort of ensure a more cohesive and impactful approach to the issues? What a brilliant and a, and a massive question. I think I've got two, two, two answers to that, Jim. It's complicated, isn't it? It's a massively complicated... Absolutely, and it is a big question. I appreciate that. And, and I'm up for it, so, and I spend you know, a good, good amount of time thinking about it. Um, so it's really complex, you know, policing, you know, and the work we are called to do um, uh, is a function of so many issues in society, be it poverty, deprivation lack of opportunity, criminal, you know, criminality. There's whole, a whole lot of drivers that cause, that cause crime and antisocial behaviour to happen. Um, there's a number of things you need to do well at that. You, know, you need to respond to it. You need to investigate it. You need to solve the problem addressing the root causes. The systematic approach to it is the tough bit because how do police, how do councils, 
how do how do voluntary groups, how do third sector, how does government work together to really consistently invest in the things that prevent harm, prevent crime, and prevent ASB is the tough bit. Um, the flip side to that is we can't overcomplicate it. We've got to simplify it. We can make a difference. We do make a difference. We can do better. And there are lots of good structures to do that, local community safety partnership teams. Sure. So I think you've got to recognise the complexity, but then just get on and do it, make a difference. People out there kind of are calling us for help and calling other agencies for help. So get on and make it happen. And um, yes, we need to influence government and funding to to help to join up at a national level. But part of my job is making sure we're joined up in Essex and in policing at a national level. So it's big, but we can make a difference and we do make a difference. I learned very early on that, you know, those partnerships are so essential if you're going to get the job done as a police officer. You haven't got all the skills. You haven't sort of, you know, you can't do it all on your own. Um, and I think it is it is so important that, you know, we do work closely with those partners and and it's okay sometimes to say you know what we we need to sort of pass this on to you to be able to get the job done and i don't think there's a problem with that and what i hate to see sometimes is that sometimes that squabbling that goes on and and i think we've got to overcome that somehow um i don't know what your views on that are i i think i think you're absolutely right we absolutely mustn't be squabbling about who's doing what but we have to have um a really good understanding in whatever town, city, community you're talking about, about what, what, what are our shared problems and what bit are we going to do, the police? What bit, you know, maybe is a housing um, pr- problem that housing can take forward? And let's align all our activity up and come back together and work out how we made a difference. Sure. Good local planning, good relationships, you know, between PCs and, 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 and other people out at the coalface, so to speak, and people in a position of management and leadership, making sure the plans and the strategies are lined up. And, uh, and, and, and that, that's the recipe. That's the recipe for success, isn't it? A good plan and consistent effort. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree. Brilliant. Last year, obviously the ASB um, plan was uh, brought in by the government. Um, just really kind of an overview from your point of view. What, what do you, how do you feel, you know, it, it, you know, it's um, your views on it really. Well, first and foremost, I'm really pleased about it because the fact that we've got a national ASB plan with the forward written by the Prime Minister that's you know, at the heart of um, you know, government thinking is brilliant because antisocial behaviour uh, does affect communities up and down the country. Um, it, it can, at its worst, you know, wreck lives. Um, so, so I'm really pleased that it's there. Um, I mean, the plan, if you kind of, what is it? it, is it at the moment this year... Uh, has been about piloting um, two ideas. Um, hotspot policing is not a new idea, let's be frank. It's been around for decades. Yeah. But really intensifying getting officers, getting other community safety partners, getting voluntary groups, getting diversionary groups into the places where ASB is most prevalent. And there's um, a number of force areas, if you like, trialling, or, or how much of a difference can you make with that real hotspot focus? Uh, and, and the second idea that, that's being piloted is um, something called immediate justice. And that's around the idea of um, how can we build structures to really quickly nip in the bud those people who are responsible for ASB and hold them to account visibly to local communities, but quickly. You know, So you're not waiting forever and a day for a court case. You can get in there and you can fix it and hopefully stop that um, 
uh, offending from or poor behaviour from continuing. And those are the two things that are being being piloted. Uh, and I really welcome it. There's more to do. There are some early signs of success, and there are some teething problems with it. But you know, I, I hope that the, the focus and the energy from government uh, and from policing and all the partners continues because it's because it's a positive thing. I tried to find as many positives from it as I, as I could. And I think it's a really positive step. You know, it, I think ASB has been off the agenda, I think, politically for a while. And I think it's really good that it's now, um, you know, it's now gained that attention again. Because as I say, when I train people, you know, people, if we don't get it right and it comes back again to those partnerships, people die. And it's as simple as that, you know. We only have to look at mm. Pilkington and, and cases since the Pilkington case that if we don't risk assess and we don't do it properly, then people people do lose their lives, unfortunately. Absolutely that. And I mean that's one of the you know, one of one of the key bits about getting our shared response to ASB right is, you know, that the investment in our people. So, you know, policing, for example, has had a really welcome um increase in numbers over the last five, six, seven years, after, let's be frank, a significant reduction in numbers over the previous six or seven years. But as those people have come back into neighbourhood policing, um, uh, and fundamentally, uh, my broad assessment is neighbourhood policing hugely suffered between 2010 and 2016 when forces were shrinking. We shrank away from neighbourhoods, away from partnership, away from problem solving. And of course, then all the problems start to build. Then, don't they? Of not uh, not nipping things in the bud, not working together. To be able to get back into that space has been important. Now, the kind of the, the, the next trick is to consolidate those new people with training, skills, and experience, so that they become proficient at what they do. And that's that. I think is kind of the next the next big challenge over the next two or three years, in particular for policing, to really embed that um, that uplift in numbers. I'm really glad that you picked up on that, Andy, because I've got a question here about training, and it was really was when I train and I train quite a number of people around the country. I do see some very kind of you know wide ranges of experience, including with police officers, um, even down to you know what's the, the definition of ASB, and and actually some officers and other practitioners, you know, they do struggle, and I do think that you are absolutely right that we need to invest quite a lot of time and money in training because I do think there are some real deficiencies. And, you know, for me, it's like um, it's like an electrician coming half qualified into a role, you know, to come and rewire your house and, they, you know, they can only do half of it and then leave the rest of your property in real danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think, you know, that it's great that, you, you know, you are, as the, as the national lead, that you're thinking about training. Policing is a complicated business and you'll, you'll remember from... From, from from your days in policing, there's there there are piles and piles of books you can build you can you can build a building out of them, but but there are some real basic powers and that officers need a really good working knowledge of, and as you say, we I know up and down the country working really hard to build though that base knowledge ground understanding in our neighbourhood teams. It's important, and you know only. Only, well, right now in the new criminal justice bill, there's lots of new powers that will be coming on board that it's really important that officers start to understand around, you know, disruption of nuisance begging, disruption around nuisance um, street drinking and and a whole range of new things. So it's a constant retraining and training um, focus we must have. When new powers come available, officers and practitioners, you know, that have those powers available to them, 
have that retraining and they understand it and that it is put into those practical scenarios, I suppose. So they understand it. Like you say, you can read all the books in the world, but if you don't understand how to implement it, then, you know, you then start to see officers, in my experience, kind of recoiling and because of lack of confidence, they don't then take that step forward to take the action. It's, it's found in the basis, you know, in, in policing, we'll talk about sergeants, team leaders, won't we, and tutor constables, you know, coaches and mentors, but that kind of being shown the ropes by someone who knows how to show you the ropes will correct you when you've gone wrong, support you when you need a bit of development. That, that That's absolutely vital. I know that's just a statement of the blindingly obvious, but that that's, that's how... Uh, that's how we all learn. We've all had a day one somewhere, haven't we? So true. Keeping on to the ASB plan, the um, ASB case review, um, formerly known as the Community Trigger, something really, really close to my heart, I've got to say, and I'm really a massive advocate of it. Yeah. But I was really interested when I was reading the plan that there was some kind of survey conducted, and I've seen this with my own eyes, and I think 94% of the, and I don't know what the what the, what the numbers were, but 94% of the individuals that were surveyed said they'd never heard of the community trigger as it was then, uh, now being renamed the ASB, ASB case review. Um, yeah. And I just wonder how you, you know, how you see the ASB case review, you know, how important it is, you know, to us tackling ASB uh, in England and Wales. Really important. Um, and we're not, we haven't been very good at it. There are some pockets of excellence, I'm absolutely certain, but, if you look across the board, we've not been consistent enough. So the ASB case review, what is it, I suppose, start at that point. You know, that says, and it was back in legislation in 2014, so 10 years ago this year, says if you're a victim of ASB for three or more times in a six-month period, you have a right to go to the police or the local authority and say, you haven't got this right for me, I would like a review of my case. It yep. used to be called the community trigger, which confused people. It's now called the ASB case review. It says what it is, which might be helpful. And the government plans, and again, I think this is a positive thing, to make it a mandatory requirement now for local agencies, be that police or local authority, to positively promote the case review. It should be front and centre on websites, shouldn't it? Not not, not hidden you know, 15 clicks down a complicated kind of uh, chain of networks. There should be um, far more transparency of um, the number of case reviews that happened and the outcomes of them. So there's visibility there um, to local communities of the fact if you're not happy, you can. there is someone you can call and something will happen. We don't guarantee the outcome, of course, but someone will sit down with you and, and work through your case. Um, so that, they're the things I think that need to happen, Jim. I think it needs to be... Um, uh, uh, we need to redouble our efforts to get the, the information out there and do those reviews. Why? Because it's problem solving. And, and you and I know that where things keep happening and are not nipped in the bud, someone isn't held to account, however that might be, that's when risk and vulnerability starts to increase. And that's what leads to tragedies. You mentioned the Fiona Pilkington case earlier, and there yeah. are other cases where if we don't get in there, Bad things happen, and that's why the case review has a really important part to play in this whole thing. And I've seen this with officers and practitioners, that they see it as a complaints process, and I always make it really clear that this is not a complaints process. It is about, like you said, partners getting together, having the case independently reviewed, and making recommendations. It's not about pointing fingers. 
I mean, I do do you know independent chairing of these 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 meetings. I make that very very clear, just to put people's mind at rest, really, because I do think they see it as a complaints process still. I think I think I think that's true to say. I think some some have seen it as you know as as a complaints process, something that will make more work, and and you know. Of course, the fact that someone's asked for review is creating work, but I think the important thing that we, you know, I need to make sure and we all need to make sure we don't forget that's really important work to be done. Um, so it, it is about an opportunity to um, to make a better impact and stop work coming in next time because we can get a better outcome. So um, you're, you're right, it needs to be seen as a positive, not a negative. One of the things I was going to ask you about was um, the actual important role as the of the chair of the um, the ASB case review. I've seen some pretty pretty good ones, but I've also seen some you know some pretty poor ones too, unfortunately. And and, you know, and as you've already said, you know, there's a lot of work to do. But I just wondered what what your views were around you know the um, the sort of the, the need for an independent chair. But more importantly as well, an independent chair that possibly has a bit of ASB experience too because I think that when you've got an independent chair that it works quite well with ASB experience. And I was just wondering what your views were around that. I, I, I would be supportive of independent chairs. You know, we have independent chairs of local children safeguarding boards, for example, don't we? Other partnership structures where, where, where you know, agencies come together to deal with long-term tricky issues. So I think that element of independence is good because that person can, you know, if, if it needs to be said to the police or a council, you know, I, we don't think you've done this properly, you should go and have a look at it again and perhaps try it, try and do something different or try and doing it properly next time. The independence gives the ability to, to talk with that candour that's, that's important. Um, but as you say, that, and again, this is quite achievable, you know, you need to have a, 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 a desire to do it, a passion to want to make a difference in those cases and a reasonable level of understanding of what it is that you can expect the agencies to do as a chair. But, yeah, I think independence, for me, feels like a good thing. You're listening to the Community Safety Podcast with Jim Nixon. Uh, today I'm talking to Deputy Chief Constable Andy Profit about effectively tackling antisocial behaviour and street homelessness. Andy, in some instances, I find there is a fine line between crime and ASB. You know, there is, there is those grey areas the police obviously have to prove you know, your cases beyond all reasonable doubt. Do you think we should be using sort of the ASB tools and powers more frequently in certain cases? And what springs to mind is, say, for example, the you know, the ASB injunction sometimes more frequently when we can't prove those cases beyond reasonable doubt. Yes, I think is the is the one word answer. Um, and you're right. There's a there is a, a real significant overlap between crime and ASB, isn't there? So you look at and, and I do. You look at any public surveys on antisocial behaviour. Within it, you will see crime. You will see things like um, um, uh, public nuisance, which is a crime. You will see things like um, uh, drug taking, which is clearly a crime, uh, as as an, as things that people think are antisocial in the community, and they're right, they are. They're crime that there are they are crimes that are antisocial. So the ASB tools and powers available to officers should be used to tackle anything crime and ASB that, that that's appropriate to do so. And what's unhelpful to a degree is is how the police sometimes categorise things because we say it's this is a crime. 
Yeah. This is not a crime, it's an antisocial incident. And sometimes I think, unless you've got that nuanced understanding that crime can be antisocial and therefore you can still use antisocial powers, sometimes we're, you know, we're not as um, thoughtful as we might be about the powers we can use to tackle different problems, and, and in particular those crimes that have got an antisocial element. Again, it comes down to that training element that we mentioned earlier. I think you know, when I tell officers that, you know, actually... You haven't been able to prove this case beyond reasonable doubt, but have you thought about an injunction, you know, to protect, you know, your job as the police is obviously there to, um, you know, catch and convict, I suppose, where, you know, you can look at it from an ASB point of view where you're preventing, then I think officers see that kind of, they have that light bulb moment then and then realise, oh, actually, I'm working on a lower standard of proof and there's a really good chance that I could get the injunction and actually protect those individuals a lot quicker. So I do think, you know, it is something that, you know, good quality training will help with. And I, and I do see them used more and more, Jim. You can always you can always be better, of course. But, you know, the, the community protection warnings, the notices, the public space protection orders, um, the, the, yeah. the closure orders, be that for licensed premises, drug premises, noisy antisocial premises, they are used more and more. So I think I, I feel optimistic about the direction of travel there. And, again, it's another thing that the – that the national focus and the national action plan has really helped to kind of sharpen the focus on. Um, and, and, and one of the things the government has consulted on is looking to bring in the new criminal justice bill is giving more powers to more agencies. So yeah. police will be able to apply for public space protection orders where you can limit behaviours in a particular locality if there's a, if there's a need to do so. Local authorities will be able to apply for dispersal orders. Yeah. So they're kind of there's there's more powers being made available to more people within that local Absolutely. partnership, and that, that can only be a good thing. There's been a a long sort of um, cry out from housing associations as well around the closure powers as well. Yeah. Even though I think they will still have to heavily rely on you as the police service, at least they will be able to sort of take the lead on you know gathering the evidence and probably reducing the time. Um, involved with you guys, you know, um, at that early stage, maybe. So I think that's a positive as well. I think they've been crying out. Having worked in housing before, I think that's something that will be a real positive too. I agree. I wanted to just touch on long-term prevention versus sort of short-term responses, really. Yeah. In your vision for the future, how do you balance the need for immediate responses to incidents of antisocial behaviour with a more sustainable sort of long-term prevention-focused approach? We have to do both, I think. And I, when I say we, I don't just talk about policing, I'm talking about, but we have to do both. You know, long-term prevention, problem solving, dealing with, the, dealing with the underlying problems. So let's take a problem. Let's take knife crime and drug dealing as the problem. And clearly they're huge problems, least of you know, yeah. people losing their lives on our streets every day. The underlying problems here relate to, you know, drug use and drug abuse. Um, uh, uh, and how do we treat? How do we, how do we stop the market? Is the long-term problem-solving here to why drugs are supplied on our street? Um, but of course, uh, that said, we must do the interventions as policing, mustn't we? We must be tackling the the organisation behind the county lines. We must be using informed stop and search. We must be taking knives off the streets and holding those to account who are doing those abhorrent crimes. So you, you've simply. I don't think in my judgment, Jim, you can't do one or the other. You have to do both. You've got to deal with the short term here and now, 
and you've got to get behind the problem in the long term. So yeah, sure. It's not, it's not an either or as I see it. No, I totally agree. Um, couldn't sort of let you go really without talking about mental health support. It's such a massive issue, you know, um, mental health conditions, you know, sometimes can be confused with uh, antisocial behaviour and there are sort of, again, blurred lines. Could you elaborate on plans to sort of integrate mental health support within, um, you know, ASB initiatives and how you foresee sort of collaboration between police forces and mental health professionals evolving in the coming years? Because I think it is an area that it, that does still need an awful lot of attention. Yeah, I mean, it's thanks, Jim. It's a really, a really important area for us. So, you know, mental health of of us all, I think, is the first point I'd want to make. Yeah. So, you know, people working in in busy organisations, we need to look after each other and look after our our mental health. So, there's a whole a whole stream of work that, if I could bring it back to policing, that we're thinking about in terms of how we can train, develop, support, obviously, with practical skills, but then help help um, our officers and staff with the the softer but vital skills around, you know, um, uh, emotional health, mental health, and, and, and that kind of wider wider well-being is, is hugely important. And then if we think about mental health in the community uh, and how that impacts on, on policing, it, it does. I mean, there's lots of stats that, that often get quoted. And when I look at call data into Essex Police, it rings true. You know, somewhere between... 20 to 40% of calls into policing have a mental health element of some 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 aspect. Yeah. Um, so how police respond to that incident to best effect um, is is a vital issue and sometimes there is a massive you know there's a massive place for policing to respond to you know a mental health crisis in the community where an individual is a, an immediate danger to themselves, an immediate danger to someone else because of whatever the crisis they're going through is. That's the cops all day long. We need to go and deal with that. Don't sure. help, help help people safe. But there's an element as where you know where the, the the risk is less immediate. Where actually you need mental health professionals to deal with people who have you know specialist specialist needs, and that that's where there's a a, a, a significant amount of work being led nationally called the Right Care, Right Person Programme, which is about recognising that, much as we talked about partnership in the community safety space, the links between police and mental health professionals, how we respond to um, mental health incidents in the community, who's best placed to deal with the long-term interventions, the problem solving um, around that, uh, is, is often not the police. Uh, and and what we're seeing, that that is meaning, is that we're getting better support from other professionals going to what maybe become, you know, frequent callers around nuisance calls, around concerns or distress, where actually the the underlying problem is someone needs some some help around their mental condition. And they don't the last thing they need is a cop going around there, arresting them or giving them fixed penalty notice yeah. or telling them to be quiet because it fixes nothing. No. Um, so and, and that's the bit. So what's the, the right care from the right person? To, to help the, to help that individual or fix the problem that's manifesting itself and that, that that's kind of a pretty easy to say and understand and quite tricky to deliver but that oh, but that, that, that is what that nationally that we the strategy around that and and all the local partnerships between health health and others that are really thinking about you know how do we get how do we get the right care from the right agency at, at the right point in time yeah, I think it's vitally important that we do this because in my experience of problem solving, 
you'll need that mental health practitioner around the table when you're doing, say, for example, professionals meetings. And it always seems to be the one partner that you can't always get around that table and get them to sort of, you know, be there and help you. Because as I said earlier, you know, we can't do everything. And um, sometimes you need that support. And I think it's really important that we start to see these individuals around the table and helping and assisting us, not doing all the work, but certainly playing their vital role because it's, sometimes it feels like you're doing trying to do the job with your hand behind your back. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so important that they, they, they do make themselves available. And, and, and Jim, you're right. And, th- and this is where, you know, there is, and I've, I've said it to, um, to, you know, to, to, to national politicians of various, uh, of various um, um, colours. Um, this is where investment and long-term planning nationally will, will really help because, um, I, I, it's hugely um, uh, brilliant that we've had investment in policing, but we also need investment in in, in local authority, community yeah. safety structures, men, you know, uh, um, health health interventions as well. It's it's that whole system investment so, so uh, and that really targeted, thoughtful intervention that makes a difference. You're listening to the Community Safety Podcast with Jim Nixon. Today I'm talking with Deputy Chief Constable Andy Profit around effectively tackling antisocial behaviour and homelessness. Youth involvement, um, really important, I think. Had some good success as a neighbourhood cop myself, you know, tackling young people, early intervention. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, considering um, the involvement of young people in instances of antisocial behaviour, and I do appreciate it's not all incidents, but, you know, quite a number of incidents. What strategies or initiatives are being developed to actively involve youth voices in designing solutions and prevention programmes? I mean, I, I can talk really specifically about kind of what, what we do in, in Essex. And we've got um, the, the Essex sure. kind of, um, and it, it's called the Youth Voices Program, is at the front and centre of all our thinking uh, in terms of how we build safer communities. Um, uh, uh, and that's a, um, a well-established partnership group who go out to children from, um, I'm not sure how young it is, but from primary school age through to, Kind of further education age and say what's worried what what's worrying you what what makes you feel safe what's not making you feel safe what would you like to see in areas all around the county and i just think that's a fundamental part of understanding um how young people feel um because you get kind of a ground truth that you know as we're sat sometimes in our ivory towers or in our partnership meetings you need to hear kind of all those different perspectives and that's what I think and hope is happening nationally, that we're absolutely taking the, the, the voice of the young person into, into our thinking when we're developing responses. Um, you know, what's the connection between young people and social behaviour? You made the point. Not all ASB is about young people, you know, stereotypically in parks being a nuisance. Some of it is. But the important thing, I think, is, is that more often than not, when you have got young people who are being or being perceived to be antisocial, well, what's the other offering we're making them? You know, other offering, you know, that and that could be from, you know, more proactive, stronger parenting. Why are, why is your 13, 14-year-old hanging around after after dark at six o'clock in a park and not at home doing homework? You know, the, the kind of the parenting thing right through to kind of after school provision, youth club provision. Um, we're doing a lot of work nationally with, with the Premier League and others thinking about how we can get sports and positive diversion into young people, you know, 
football, boxing clubs, dance classes, music groups to say, well, look, come and do this. You're here, you're twiddling your thumbs and you're bored at the moment. Um, here's, here's something else you can do. It's free, it's safe. There's people there of your own age. And I, and I think there's something really important about that that, that, that that we need to kind of really push and keep pushing out. Yeah, I was involved in um, a music project when I was a, a, a PC. And, um, you know, you mentioned sport there, but again, you also mentioned lots of other different activities. And I think it's really important that young people are giving the options because not everybody loves sport. And when we did this um, radio project and DJ product project, the, um, the the attendance was amazing. The kids came every week and the breakdown of barriers and the learning was incredible. Um, so, yeah, I'm a massive advocate of it. Um, and I think yeah, it goes a long way to getting kids involved, getting kids engaged and reduces that antisocial behaviour quite significantly. Um, but on the other side of the coin as well, Andy, the other thing I was going to say was, and this again comes down to good education. Sometimes young people aren't doing actually anything antisocial. And I do think sometimes it's public perception um, that, you know, like, for example, kids playing football on, on a green um, or just a group of kids just sort of like being kids. And I think there, there has to be both sort of aspects looked at this as well, you know, that not all kids are antisocial, but I think sometimes they are, you know, they're victimised themselves. Um, and I think it's important that, you know, that public perception is, um, you know, is addressed sometimes as well. You're absolutely right. And, you know, police forces and councils up and down the country will get calls about, you know, really harmful, deep-rooted yeah. antisocial behaviour that needs addressing, needs addressing quickly and properly. And calls like that where you said where they're just the, perhaps the perception of ASB is a little bit unreasonable, but um, it's important nevertheless to, you know, whether that be kind of you know, honestly and reasonably give some give some careful kind of feedback to that in the, that that person reporting it, or just try and try and support support them um, as as best you can. I think is important. But look, we have to make choices, Jim. Don't we, we have to prioritise about well, where where's the harm, where's the risk, where where do the repeat calls keep going, and and how do we best respond and we don't always get that right, but that that's always been the case. You have to make choices about where you where you put your yeah. time and effort. And again, you know, I think it, it, this. Sorry to keep re- coming back to it, but I think training again is is really important with this. You know, that good quality training will cover these kind of aspects. And I think it's you know it's really important that officers and practitioners get that training and that regular yeah. training. And then yeah. they can start to make those yeah. key decisions, as you've just alluded to. And control room as well. So the people on the end of the websites, on the end of the phone calls, so they are making the good early risk assessments, getting the right information that then decides whether yeah. an officer should deploy or not in the first place. That's another another key key part of the, the jigsaw that I know forces and, uh, and others are, are thinking really hard about and investing heavily in. Sort of staying on the same subject, really, was like really around sort of measuring public perception and trust, really, mm. and how important is public perception and trust in com- combating antisocial behaviour? You know, are there mechanisms or plans in place to measure and enhance public trust in policing approaches to dealing with these issues? Yes, there are. So there's um, there's a national survey, the Crime Survey of England and Wales, that's been running since 19, sure. 1981, which we'll know about, which talks about kind of um, um, fears and perceptions of crime um, in, in the local area. 
Um, as part of the National ASB Action Plan, um, that there's um, a bespoke surveying by an independent survey company uh, around how people feel about ASB. Is it a problem? Is it an increasing problem? What is the nature of the problem? What's the response you get from the police, local authority, housing associations and others when you report it? So we, 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 we've got a pretty rich picture of, of information now that what does it tell us, I guess, is the logical kind of uh, question you'd ask me next. Um, it says that where, um, where, where we respond and where we keep people updated and where we do something, people in general are pretty happy with what we're doing. Where, where people can't get through because the phone takes too long to answer, where we don't do anything, or more importantly, don't tell somebody what we have or haven't done and why people feel frustrated and let down by the system. Um, it will vary across the place, but in general, in general, um, trust and confidence in policing. Um, you know, there's lots said about trust and confidence in policing hanging, hanging by a thread. I don't, I don't believe that. I think that there's a kind of, a, I genuinely believe a significant um, support in communities for what policing does, um, but we need to be really alive to the fact that. Um, we're only as good as our last interaction, and therefore, the you know how how effectively respond when someone calls for help is a significant um, uh, support to trust and confidence or not. And I think that's that's just fundamentally important. But you know, I, I am an optimist around these things. Um, we survey again to bring it back to my force. We survey once a quarter with an independent survey company. We ask about. 30 or 40 questions through that survey, of which four or five specifically relate to ASB. And underlying all that, um, about three quarters of people think the police do a good or excellent job. Um, and I think, you know, I'd love it to be 100%, but um, um, that's a pretty solid base, Jim. And I, and I think it's really important to be positive about what we can do and not, and I don't, and, uh, and not to be drawn into the kind of, let's talk things down because, there's lots that goes, there's a huge amount that goes so well with what happens between police and, and, and partners in the ASB space as well. And we must we must always remember that, celebrate the success. You're absolutely right. I, I don't think it's hanging by a thread at all. I think it's just a couple of bad eggs that, you know, give policing a bad reputation. Um, but in, in the main, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of officers out there doing the first class service and, you know, doing what they can under very, very difficult circumstances. So I, I think that's a, absolutely right in what you just said. Um, just wanted to touch on homelessness before we wrap up the um, the interview. Obviously, big issue across the whole country. I previously worked in Stoke-on-Trent um, in a local authority there where it was a massive problem. Homelessness obviously um, often intersects with mental health, as we've already mentioned, substance abuse and poverty. Could you elaborate on any holistic or multidisciplinary approaches being adopted to address these kind of complex interlinkages? How do law enforcement agencies coordinate with other stakeholders to provide the more comprehensive support for individuals? Again, I think on what I'm saying is it's it's not just down to the police. No. And I think, you know, it is a holistic problem that needs to be looked at. There's actually a... Um a nationally supported approach to this that as we always do in policing we get we gave it an operation name i don't know why we do that we've called it's called operation luscombe but what that is um, as you've alluded to um, to understand homelessness which um, 
you know, can, can lead to crime and antisocial behaviour and does, yeah. but can also be driven by vulnerability, drug abuse, alcohol addiction, mental health, poverty. You need to get all the different people out on the street talking to people. So what, what that operation is about is you get your local neighbourhood officers, your local housing officers, your local mental health outreach team um, um, together to go and talk to people who are homeless and say, who are you? Why are you on the street? Um, and, uh, and understand what that issue is. And then you start to understand, um, you know, you, you, you might find, for example, that um, you've got a number of people who are, are on the street, you know, and appear to be homeless, but are actually coming in to beg. Now, they might be begging for legitimate reasons, but they're not homeless to that local area. Yeah. They're traveling in to beg. And sometimes there's organization behind that and criminal elements to that. So, and then you realize you have got local people there who, who are genuinely homeless, who may be in some kind of crisis, may have mental health, and may have quite often do have drug and alcohol addiction. Well, you can start to then target your interventions at, you know, offers of treatment, offers of food, offers of, of accommodation, at, at, at where, where they are, where that local need exists. You can deal with the criminality where it is, uh, 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 and you can start to use some of the controlling powers where people are choosing to come to an area to beg uh, uh, and stop them being there, you know, whether that be the protection warnings or protection notices and yeah. there's a range of powers. But you've got to get out there, understand the problem and then get the right yeah. intervention from the right agency, Jim, as, as I know I keep repeating, but that's because that's just the way things get fixed. It's problem solving. You are right, you know. There, is, um, there does seem to be a number of people out there that seem to be begging and are not homeless, and I think you you you, know, you alluded to that around the you know the criminal justice building you know, that will help with that um, and and target the right people. I think the other thing that I saw in Stoke was genuinely homeless people who had formed little communities, and no offer of support would change the way that they live their lives, and I think that is a major obstacle for us and I'm not quite sure how we fix that and I'm not expecting you but I think I just wanted to make that observation that there are pockets of homeless people that in my experience don't want to be helped and I'm not sure what we can do about that. No you're right Um, and I I have spoken to ministers and others about about this so we talk about it in terms of what's the positive requirement we can put on people to take help you know, if, if, if an individual needs drug and alcohol treatment or offer of help, well, we can offer it, but if someone doesn't want to take it, it's very difficult to force someone to take that help. Um, and if the only sanction you've got available sure. is then to start, you know, criminalising the, the, the lack of a desire to take on the help, and do we really want to fill up prisons with people? So you're right, you know, most people at some point will... I think find the find it will be the right time and space for them to take that help if you keep if you keep offering it. But um, yeah. a, a punitive approach and and you know a criminal justice sanction won't often be the right answer, but but might be in some cases. In general, I don't think it would do the trick. You know, I think there are. I think you're right. I think it's it's waiting for that individual to understand that they need the help. Um, and I think I saw that with a lot of drug addicts when I was working in in the drugs field that, you know, you can't sort of say do it for your mum, do it for your brother or your child. They've got to do it for themselves when they're right and it's right for them. So I think I think you're probably right. 
it's about, I suppose, just keep monitoring them, keep keep them in view, and and then when the time's right, hopefully you can you can get them the help. But I think it is a it is a problem that needs looking at. I didn't want to come across as being completely passive around oh, not that at all. because you know when 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 I walk through a local town as you do, or or, or you know my friends and family walk through a town, it's not nice and it doesn't make people feel safe when you're coming out of the train station or the bus station and you're stepping over. For whatever reason they're there, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel safe and it's often not hygienic and it's not okay and something does have yeah. to be done about it. And, you know, policing should should have a part to play in it. But uh, I, I guess my point is the the solution isn't always simple, but we, we simply shouldn't be walking past and saying because the solution is tough, we don't yeah. do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Final question, Andy. Um, there, there was mention in the ASB plan around some kind of digital offering. Yeah. I wonder if any sort of around sort of reporting ASB and being directed to the right organisations, et cetera. And I just wondered if any progress had been made on that at all nationally. Not, not as much as I would like, I think, is the answer. It, it is something that's absolutely being looked at because we live in a, in a digital world, don't we? You know, yeah. the vast majority of us have got access to smartphones, smartwatches, and goodness knows smart what else is. Um, and I know there's lots of there's lots of innovation out there that's starting to to build and bubble up about, you know, um, the, the noise app being one that, you know, we, we, we've previously discussed as as as, as kind of a, an almost like a, a free market solution. And I think it's really important that we have a consistent offering around how people can um, share information um, be that you know recorded on their iPhone or however into policing and and community safety in, in a consistent way. So it's it's one we yet to crack, Jim. I think is the honest answer. Yeah, it's um. There's something about this is it, it, it ab- absolutely every single large organisation, so every single police force has a digital um, media storage capability more and more, if not all of our investigations, be that crime and antisocial, have got some kind of digital element to it. So so it's something that needs to improve, I think is the honest answer. It's good to see that, you know, it's on the agenda and it is being looked at. Andy, thanks ever so much for taking up your valuable time. It's um, been an absolute pleasure, Jim, and thank you for, you know, thank you for what you've done to to, to host me today uh, and allow us to talk through what, what are, you know, really important issues, if, if, issues that I feel really passionate about because it affects people's lives. So, I'm really grateful for your time as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Community Safety Podcast. If you liked today's episode, please follow the podcast, write us a five-star review and tell us about what you liked about the episode. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Alongside support from St. Ives Chambers, RHE Global and Barden Co-Recruitment in partnership with District 4, you have been listening to the Community Safety Podcast with Jim Nixon.